Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. My next guest is a holistic psychotherapist. She describes herself as a warrior of love and is also an emotional management coach. Please welcome Susan Gunner from London, who loves taking cold showers, wakes up at 3 a.m. to meditate, and manages to look gorgeous doing it all. Without further ado, let's listen in. In my very early younger days, I was a session stylist. I attended this workshop. There was about over 500 people, all creatives, and only two females were picked to be the face of Paul Mutual products, and they're huge right now. And it was me and one other girl that was picked in the crowd. And, you know, they approached and emails were taken, kind of went through the whole procedure and we had to have our photo shoots done and then they were going to make a decision on who to take. So what do you think happened? I wasn't picked. It was the other lady got the job. And then within a month, she was on the cover of Vogue, Elle, all kinds of those glossy magazines. And then her life took another turn. And I didn't understand why I lost it. And then again, like within a few months, we had a Christmas dinner and the director of the Paul Mitchell products joined the dinner. So he happened to sit next to me on this Christmas dinner and like, oh my God, you just turned me down kind of thing, you know, like yeah. feeling a little bit of resentment. <laughs> and then over the dinner, he said to me, I especially came to this dinner because I wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I was quite kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And he said, in my opinion, you should have get the job. You were like the perfect match for what we were trying to do. But the reason you didn't get the job is because you don't believe in yourself. And he literally saw that through me. And that was one of my wake up calls in my life. I had few more experiences before that leading up to that event. The universe kept giving me these messages, but I kept ignoring and ignoring. And then that was like the final blow because that was a huge contract and it was going to probably like a life-changing moment. Well, Susan, welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Serafina. I'm really, really happy to be here and I'm really privileged to have this conversation with you. Tell me about young women and self-sabotage and self-criticism because I know I do it a lot. I know my research suggests a lot of young women do it. We tend to take on a lot of responsibility. What is self-sabotage? What is self-criticism? And why are we so attracted to it? Self-sabotage is it's something that we have. It's kind of like it's under our skin. And it's usually develops, if I say to you, even between the first few months of our life, mm. it's that deep. Wow. All these self-sabotaging or shall we say like limiting beliefs and limitations that we create for ourselves actually become or develop from a very earlier on, even from the few months to adolescence to even our adult life. So it becomes a blueprint on 
the way we make choices and how we do things in life in our adult life and even how we choose our partners friends even careers to be honest I joke all the time even the coffee choice that you make it's that deep wow it's it's a difficult conversation to have if someone hasn't had that kind of questions like you know when we there are times in our lives when we start questioning and if you're sitting down with someone that who's never asked that question like why are we here like why do I do this or why what's the purpose of this or what's the point you know these kind of questions if someone's not even ever asked those questions or even never occurred to them it's very hard to talk about self-sabotaging and limited because those people that always believe that it's their circumstances, their upbringing, their parents, their husbands, their partners, their friends that are causing them to suffer or causing them to do things and make choices. Or they even feel like they are so limited that they cannot make a free choice because they think that their choices are dependent on others. Yes. It's like a vicious, vicious, vicious cycle or circle, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's very deep. It's very interesting what you said about self-sabotage starting in the early months of a human being's life. Because yesterday we spoke to a woman who was speaking of ancestral habits that we carry <laughs> down the chain of family mm-hmm. members. She's gone to South America and studied shamanism and a lot of ancient practices to help people break those cycles and patterns. And she said that we're unaware of the choices we make. We're unaware of why we're making them. And the interesting bit of all of that is in the 21st century, if you're a woman in your 30s, you have to be pretty switched on. You have to be in control of your travel your clothes, your children, if you have them, your husband, your home, your kitchen, your grocery shopping. You are quite a well-put-together human being. And to think that self-sabotage is part of your, I don't know, everyday habit is unimaginable. But self-criticism on the other end, it's quite obvious. Yeah, yeah. I know I do it. I I know I do it. So I don't know why, though. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, Let me show you a quick example of my experience with the self-sabotage that wasn't obvious. So we, in my very early younger days, I was a session stylist and I attended this workshop. There was about over 500 people or creatives and only two females were picked to be the face of Paul Mitchell products and they're huge right now. And it was me and one other girl that was picked in the crowd. And, you know, they approached and our emails were taken, kind of went through the whole procedure and we had to have our photo shoots done and then they were going to make a decision on who to take. So what do you think happened? Then now you were jumping for joy. Yeah, but of course, but I wasn't picked. It was the other lady got the job. Oh, no. Yeah, and and then within a month, she was on the cover of Vogue, Elle, all kinds of those glossy magazines, and then her life took another turn. I'm not saying that it's not a model life. It's not something that we should look for. I mean, if you give me that opportunity now, I'll probably turn it down consciously. 
Mm. But at the time, it was like very heartbreaking. And I didn't understand why I lost it. And then, again, like within a few months, we had a Christmas dinner and the director of the Paul Mitchell products joined the dinner because I was then in my circle. I had a really good contacts and social network, um, kind of very good people, very professionals around me. So he happened to sit next to me on this Christmas dinner and like, oh my God, you just turned me down kind of thing. You know, like yeah. feeling a little bit of resentment. <laughs> and then over the dinner, he said to me, I especially came to this dinner because I wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I was quite kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And he said, in my opinion, you should have get the job. Mm-hmm. You were like the perfect match for what we were trying to do. But the reason you didn't get the job is because you don't believe in yourself. Wow. How did he know that? Because um, he's obviously in his late 60s. He's a very wise man, very kind of, he's done the journey. He's been round, round and back. You know, he understood the psychology and all of that stuff. And he literally saw that through me, literally read me. And he said, it's because you didn't believe in yourself. And that was one of my wake-up calls in my life that I started questioning and like, what is this guy trying to tell me? What is he saying to me? And that was one of my aha moments that mm-hmm. I had. Mm. Yeah. So when he said that to you, was there, you know, a voice of recognition inside you that said, yeah, maybe it's true. Did you feel that way? Did you? I did. I did. I did. Literally had like chills down my spine and I thought, my goodness, my goodness, because I had few more experiences before that leading up to that event. Mm. So the universe kept giving me these messages, but I kept ignoring and ignoring. And then that was like the final blow because that was a huge contract and it was going to probably like a life-changing moment if I was to jump on that project and, you know, become the face of Paul Mitchell. And I know my life would have completely taken a new level of direction. Mm. And that was so big enough for me to stop and take notice. Wow. Do you know what? A similar thing happened to me, but I couldn't quite understand it. So there's a film that's come out called The Shack, quite Uh a big Hollywood film. It's got some big stars in it. And I was down like you to the last two girls. Wow. The character was written for a Western Himalayan girl like me. Uh I was down to the T. I had spared no cash in terms of preparing my screen tests you know I'd send it all over and they went with a Japanese girl in the end and I wrote the casting director and I was like what happened I mean the woman is me she even has a Sanskrit name like what happened and she was just like you know it's just had to do with the financing it came from Japan and at that point I was just like obviously heartbroken and and I was like, I've worked so hard, da, 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 the usual. Mm-hmm. But I just kept going. And I've realized that I may not have an answer to that as yet mm-hmm. within me. I know I believed in myself. But I also know that my soul's calling is quite different. Mm-hmm. It, it is to do the kind of work I'm doing now. It is to help people. I would invariably become the person that helped her friends through problems, that did it effectively, that got out of crises effectively. So my life path was different. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes self-sabotage can work to even guide you. 
-hmm. not necessarily it sounds like it did that for you on a soul level like your soul you choose a different path because as a model you would never be helping people as you are today yeah again that's something I'm pondering on Sophina because I do meet people who have had successful tv careers modeling or some sort of you know frontline in front of camera kind of jobs and I have seen few women that have gone down the path of the journey of the soul it's really inspiring actually so I'm thinking I know that life is quite kind of colorful and mad and crazy and chaotic I still believe that um deep down if we are meant to be doing this work that we do I call it the shadow work then I'm guessing somehow you will still find that moment even in this chaotic, you know, life and still find a way to kind of apply it. Maybe not into this, not in a deeper level, but some level. At some level, yes. I think, I think this is my, my, because from the very earlier on, I intuitively knew that connecting with people was going to be my thing. It just begs the question, You're an uh, emotional management coach. Mm -hmm. Um, You also the founder of Warrior of Love. Mm -hmm. I love that title. We will get into that later. But I wanted to first talk to you a bit about psychotherapy and what makes what you do, which is holistic psychotherapy, different from psychotherapy. Yeah. So basically psychotherapy is the traditional, conventional way of dealing with outcome-based illnesses, mental illnesses and behavioral disorders and all kinds of addictions and stuff like that. So they usually choose methods that can be applied to dealing with what's happening as a result of what the person is going through. So if someone's going through a depression, they kind of find ways that um, prescribe them with pills is the, the most common one. And then otherwise they will have talk therapies or they'll make them do kind of other kind of exercises, mainly focusing on the outcome or what they are going through that moment. Again, this applies to addiction and all kinds of stuff. But holistic psychotherapy is when we work from the root of the problem, where it's coming from, rather than what's happening. We don't actually pay attention too much to what is actually happening. We try to have more compassion and empathy towards what's actually happening with the person and what are they doing. But then we kind of take the person back and then try and find out what is the root issue that is causing this person to behave this way or have these issues, whether physical, emotional or mental. And that is the difference with holistic approach. And that entails using all kinds of Eastern tools, all kinds of meditation, yoga, breathing, exposing to cold, cold showers. I mean, I can count many. And the reason there are many ways of doing this is because we are all different and we respond differently to different methods. And if one thing works for me, doesn't mean not necessarily would work with you. So the idea behind it is to also create a safe space for this person to feel safe. And most of the time, if you can establish this successfully, they kind of do their own work themselves. As you know, everything is within us. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in that. Mm -hmm. We all have the tools Mm -hmm. and what we need to really heal ourselves. It's all in there, but 
that is the million dollar question. Like, how do you look in? How do you start looking in? And how, what is that first step? Mm. And this is the problem. So doing all the breathing journey, you know, the journey of breathing meditation and kind of trying to connect to your soul is, is good. Everyone understands that. But the problem is that how do you do that? How do you take that first step? So my role is here to create that safe space. So the person feels really loved, cared, compassion, empathy, judged, and then they can then take that journey. Most of the time, after a few times, few sessions, they are capable of taking it to another level on their own. So do you find that after you kind of, it sounds like you kind of equip them to look after yeah. themselves and totally. in their life, which is a lot better than addicting them to yeah. medicines, I think. And I like that holistic approach because we are human beings, you know. And you spoke about that first step and looking in. Uh, I'm a firm believer that it all begins uh, with love. And, you know, it would be an appropriate point to ask you, why Warrior of Love? It's a very interesting title. It's, I'd really love to hear what it is and how you chose the title. It's a perfect timing, Serafina, because you just said that the first step into taking that journey is it begins with love and that's hence why I chose warrior of love because that is the first step actually you are absolutely right and this is what's been taken away from people Mm -hmm. and this is what's causing them major mostly the major major problems that come from them it's because of lack of love that they have missed or the lack of unconditional love or the connection I usually say love or either connection. For me, is both is the same. So when they have lost that growing up or not never had it, I think this is the major, major cause of most of the stuff that we suffer as an adult. So warrior of love represents that this is it. Love is the answer. And that's how you start your journey. That is the first step, actually. So when you come to me, the first thing I'll make sure that you feel is love, whether I can give that to you as a stranger or you can connect. But my job is to connect with you on a deeper level, soul level, so that you feel safe and you feel you experience what it means, this love that everyone's talking about. Yes. I do know from my own life, from the trauma that I've been through myself, that it's a very vulnerable and delicate place you know, the self-love that we keep talking about, it's, it's something that you have to be very gentle with. And yeah. we are constantly taught in this 21st century craziness to be very tough, to be very bold, to go out there and be aggressive. But I think not all of us are also taught that with ourselves, there's a need for gentleness. There's a need for being quite uh, compassionate not just when we see ourselves suffering, but every day, everyday struggles, everyday problems. We've got to learn to be compassionate with ourselves. And that's what I'm practicing at the moment. Vulnerability always takes me back to myself as a child. And I want to ask you, what were you like as a child? Yeah, that's a really good question because this is what I do right now is probably the product of my upbringing. And as a kid, I was a very melancholic, unhappy, serious kid. 
traditional play. I never had like toys or the things, you know, that a normal child has. I didn't have parents with me growing up. I grew up with my grandma and she suffered a, a lot of complex mental disorders. And I almost had to become, grow up too quickly and kind of take care of my grandma in a way, emotionally. Mm. So I learned how to deal with difficult behaviors that adults project on us. And I learned very quickly how to be there for her mm. from the age of like six, seven, eight. And yeah, so this is probably why, why I do what I do today as an adult. It kind of set the scene in which direction that I was going and it kind of made me understand from very early on and started asking questions from very early on because I would go to school and then imagine you leave school and you see your friends with their parents yes. doing the normal family activities that normal families would do and then but you just go to an empty house that your grandma's there and then no one else is there. You don't have friends, you don't have your siblings. It's a very cold, empty house and... And this grandmother is always talking about pain. Mm. That, that's the kind of childhood I had. So it's kind of like I always think of pain as a giant scoop that makes a, a big, big heart inside of us, you know. And then God mm. somehow fills it with love so that we can share it with the world. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, oh, with us. You're welcome. I think it's important to do what we do here so that our listeners are able to for themselves that we're coming from a place of authenticity and sharing our life stories you know hopefully helps another person mm -hmm. who's probably guarding a secret with their life and they don't need to because look what that made you today you help people manage their emotions tell me about emotional management I often feel like especially around my period uh, I mean, that's a joke, but sometimes I feel like, you know, emotional management, I could really do with it. Sometimes I can't understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling because life is quite good. And I have my spiritual practice. I have my yoga practice, you know, eating well. What the hell is going on with me sometimes? Tell me about emotional management and what an emotional management coach does. Yeah, I mean, everyone is different, of course. I mean, all coaches have their own unique way of helping others and they have their own unique set of tools, all kind of structure and strategies. But for me, I literally dive deep into the unconscious and I know that our unconscious is so intelligent. The moment you think, okay, I'm there now, I, I got it. I finally made it to this point and I am so conscious and aware and awake you get another blow. And that's how unconscious works with us. It's so intelligent. It's like, no way, no way. I mean, the moment you think you're conscious, another layer, another layer. It's like a never-ending journey, but it's kind of like a never-ending um, progress into understanding the consciousness. That being said, I always remind myself that doesn't matter how much work I do, doesn't matter how much I understand this whole consciousness, there's always going to be something that's happening in my daily life that's going to throw me off. And when that happens, whether, like you said, it's your cycle of, you know, monthly cycle or something else, I have developed a way, especially with myself, that I literally pause intentionally, take myself out of there and say, why do I feel the way I do? 
And then I start kind of pondering on, and then that few minutes of disruption, like countering, it kind of really helps to reset in a way. And this is available for everyone. It can be done over, you know, if you keep practicing this over a period of time, at the beginning, it might not make sense. But this is so powerful, Serafina. Like, quick example. I dropped my little one. He's five. He's Mm -hmm. in full-time school. So I work around him. And in the morning, like, say, give you an example this morning. I dropped him to school and then I was walking back. And one of the mummies, you know, same class mummy, I always just say hi, but never literally talk. She started walking alongside me and she started talking to me. So within a few seconds, I take myself out of that situation. I'm like, why is this lady talking to me today? Like, what is the message that I need from her now? It's never about other people. It's never about anything outside of you. Mm. So every moment that you're awake, whatever Mm. you are going through, it's about you. And the beautiful thing is that you have the choice to give it a different meaning. And I find that to be very powerful in, in my life. And it kind of helps me to listen others more and listen to myself more. So you know what she talked about? She said that her daughter, same class as, as my boy, she never sleeps in her own bed. She said, I always have to go and lie down next to her before she goes to bed. And it's quite getting a bit kind of exhausting. So again, I was like, hmm, immediately I tie it to myself. Okay, she's giving me a message here because that's exactly what my son does. Does he? <laughs> I have to go and lie down with him 10 minutes before he goes to bed, completely sleeps. Oh. And I'm thinking, do you see what I mean? Once, when we make it all about ourselves, yes, we stop judging, we stop getting annoyed with people. Mm. Even if it's something, that was just a light example, but there are examples in my life where I get people kind of being kind of not nice, not kind, directly unkind. And I still say to myself, what is this message? What is she trying to tell me here? Mm. never about them honestly if we can just understand this then uh, life becomes much more manageable and emotions become much more manageable so you you essentially show people how to manage their emotions as a coach and it sounds to me that you're giving them a way into self-confidence because I know that when people attack me or mean to me my reaction to them is a best when I'm in a high life state. So I practice Nichiren Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And for us, life and dealing with life is all about where your life state is. If you're in a higher life state, you'll always react from a place of, you know, joy or laughter or humor or even compassion, courage. Uh, But if you're in a low life state, you'd probably tell people to just Ever, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, being having an emotional management coach would be really good for people that are overstretched for time and yeah. uh, probably can have a consultation. I know in my life, I've really enjoyed and benefited from, I don't know, do you do Skype consultations? I do. I do. I mainly work online, interestingly. Yeah, because it really helps. I mean, most of my coaches are in the States uh, Mm -hmm. just because I lived in New York. So I kind of like that, but it really helps. And I think the way it helps is you go from that 
point where we started with just self-sabotage, self-criticism to self-confidence, where you're kind of like, okay, I got this. This yeah. is happening to teach me something. You just feel like you're not being thrown around so much by life, whereas yeah. you're actually on a board and you're surfing through. and Exactly. Feeling- and you're not just kind of making it through the day, but kind of you're in control. Yeah. Even I mean, I'm a massive fan of Stoism. Stoism is the ancient Greek way of, especially Marcus Aurelius, he's known for one of the emperors, Roman emperors. He's very famous in spreading the Stoism from centuries ago. And what they teach is that you cannot control the things that are happening outside of you, but you can control your inner state. And I think, although I'm not basing my coaching on this uh, teachings, but I think it has a lot of tendency to stoism, stoism in a way that I'm not saying to you, just be calm and accept everything that's happening around you. But most of my coaching is actually kind of based on that, meaning that you can only control what's going on inside your inside state. So we cannot control the external stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have someone crashing into your car. So you can have, you can miss a train, you can miss a flight, you can, those are the things we cannot control. But what we can do is, how do we feel about that? Because I practice everything that I kind of teach and share. And seriously, it, it reduces the stress level so much, so low, it's unreal. Yeah. Even in a chaotic state, if you can literally take a step out and say, what's going on here? Why am I feeling this? Why am I encountering this? Why is this person talking to me like this? Or why, this, why did I just experience this moment? What's the message behind? Then even that few seconds of disruption, dis- distracting yourself, it really does something to your state, inner state and you, you stop reacting and eventually keep practicing this. Then you become really calm in situations like that and you don't yeah. react at all. I think it's a good point to get your views on what the human ego and the human soul are, you know. Yeah. What is the human ego? What is the human soul? I mean, to be honest, Serafina, there's like millions of <laughs> articles on ego. Everyone has their own way of, you know, yeah. meaning, believing and researching. Yeah. I mean, if you look at psychoanalysis, I mean, Freud always says, oh, it's actually not bad thing. It kind of protects you. It kind of, and if you look at Buddhism, I'm not sure. They don't actually see that as a uh, enemy, but uh, but they know that you can control this and you can kind of make peace with that. My take on, I tell you, my take on is ego is part of our survival. We evolved that way, right? I mean, 250K years ago, I think this shape, this form that we're in is about that much old. And the evolution, we had to have that to stay alive and Mm. kind of keep us going. So I don't necessarily kind of beat the ego up. I don't necessarily say horrible things about ego and say that, oh, we've got to eliminate the ego. And, you know, I actually never talk about ego that much only because I understand that it, it needs to be there as part of our survival. I couldn't agree with you more. I, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you on that. And I think you aligned with that because I've seen what you do and, and your podcast and I know, I know the subjects you talk about. And I totally believe that you kind of aligned with me what I say. I usually, as a joke, I say, oh, I'll, I always keep my ego in the back seat, So it's there. Yeah. When I need it, it come out, you know. Yeah. But I'm not willing to totally get rid of it because it kind of plays a massive part in my life in the way I survive. You know, ego is kind of like eyeshadow. 
And yeah. for me, it's uh, this uh, little bottle of uh, foundation by Giorgio Armani. It's my life savior, like literally. It's yeah. in my bag, every bag, because I hate seeing shadows mm-hmm. under my eyes. So that's the one thing I'll just put it on and I'll be like, okay, I feel better. Yeah. But the ego is kind of like that. It's not, yeah. it's, as long as you use it, you know. It's to your advantage, you mean? To make you feel better, not to... Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, the description of this podcast is, you know, use your ego, don't get used by it. And that it's that simple. Exactly. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand that. And a lot of people don't understand it. Very ego-identified lives exist around us. Mm-hmm. So as a, a holistic psychotherapist, I think, then you're obviously dealing with people on a soul level, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. Are there any words of advice to our audience or, you know, things you want to leave them with from your practice that they could apply in their life? Yeah, I mean, my favorite one is, I always say this all the time, it's never about us. I mean, this life, I mean, Carolyn Mace is my hero. I've been listening to her for years. Mm. I love her lectures when she tells the audience off. She says, stop taking it personal. This life is not personal. <laughs> and um, it's so hilarious. It's true. I think, Serafina, we take this life too serious. And I'm going to tie it down. Started with Carolyn Mace and I'm going to tie it down with Dandopani. I never forget, and this is my biggest reminder, when I feel like I'm getting sucked into this superficial daily stress of a life, I always stop myself and remind myself that our life in this physical body right now, as Susan that I am, it's finite. I better make some serious decisions. I better make some, you know, take some good actions that day because it's finite. Mm. If we can understand this on a deeper level, exactly what Dandopani says, we will make some wise decisions. And I think this is like my compass in everyday situations. Wow. And it helps me appreciate the things around me, my boy and my parents and and things. And in, in the, even the little spider that's just walked just, just now, I, I was like, get out of my house. I, I actually <laughs> talked to them. Do you see what I mean? I mean, it really literally helps you to connect and you never take anything for granted. Mm, and you stop becoming a robot, which a lot of people are becoming. You know, it really delights my heart when I meet another human being that is living from a soulful place. So it's a real delight to talk to you today. I do want to ask you, what is your self-care and self-love routine? You have alluded to it earlier, but... Yeah, I mean, of course, I have quite a bit of a routine that I... I mean, Serafina, I I have to tell you, my relationship with sleep changed about a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. through meditation. Right. I read in an article about Rumi saying that if you ever wake up spontaneously at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, do not go back to sleep. And I started pondering why does it say that? And I kind of uh, dived deep into it and, and really wanted to understand what it means. But it means actually that the vibration is very high at that time. So I started meditating around 3, 4 a.m., and about a year now. And I tell you, my relationship changed with sleep. So I realized that sleeping eight hours a day is a myth. You don't need to sleep that much to really function. And so I sleep, I don't sleep straight one go. I sleep a little bit kind of in the evening, wake up at 3, 4 a.m., do my long 
ritual meditation kind of thing. Then I go back to sleep for another hour or two, wake up at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. That's the kind of routine I have daily. And I never feel tired. I never feel exhausted. In fact, I think I draw energy from it. And then when I'm up in the morning, cold showers is my go-to. I never miss it. I've been to Wim Hof workshop not long ago. Mm. He made us sit in the ice bath. And ever since, my relationship changed with the cold. So I never go a day without you know, missing a cold shower. Again, I call it my rituals, meditation, cold shower. Mm. These are my rituals. And compassion, gratitude, daily reminding myself, I practice this. These are my daily stuff that I do. And yoga has been life-saving for me, it's, you know, I owe so much to yoga. It's a spiritual practice the way I understand it. And this is what I do in the mornings as well. And I do it longer sessions with an instructor during the week. Amazing. We, we actually uh, had an opportunity to interview a yogini from the Himalayas who studied the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And she definitely said that yoga is a spiritual tool. It's not a physical tool that people think it is so I think absolutely (laughs) I have to mention one quick research that I've been studying for a while Mm -hmm. I've been following Dr. Bezel he's spent 30 of his life 30 years of his life studying childhood trauma and all kinds of PTSD and anxiety and disorders and he found that when they did a test group when they put them in the shavasana pose Mm-hmm. And they take in images of their brain, fMRI images. They have seen that this shavasana activated some serious parts of the brains that never seen they have never seen before. So now he's got books on saying that the trauma is in our body, mm. and through yoga we can release all kinds of trauma that's yeah. been there from a childhood. So I believe in this because when I started doing yoga, some of those poses used to literally make me cry, especially the heart-opening ones. Oh, how interesting. Mm. So it keeps me humble, keeps me humble because the moment that, like I said to you earlier, the moment we think we're there and you kind of practice one-hour yoga, it will tell you you've got still a long way to go. Yeah. You're so humble, so grounded. It's like my number one go-to ritual I call all of these uh, practices rituals it's true they are yeah and you have on your website a free is it a workshop on healing childhood trauma I noticed yes I have taken them down um, not long ago because I was going to re-record them what I do is I give out free videos where they can kind of have a little bit of insight into my world and understand what it is to go through childhood adversity and how it affects our adult life yeah just give them that kind of little insight. They will be back up again soon, very soon. Oh, great. Okay. And um, what is, you know, the best place that our audience can reach you? I'm all over the place. Uh, my <laughs> website is warrioroflove.co.uk. And I'm on Facebook as Susan Gunner. And I'm on Instagram as Susan uh, Gunner again. And yeah, Twitter, basically everywhere. Well, I mean, I just... I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world and, you know, you're a true, true warrior of love. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you, Serafina. Really honored, honestly. Thank you. You're so kind. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you.